and fan the flame. That's what we're going after, all right? May God get all the glory all year long in 2021. No matter the circumstance, I will look to my King. Man, it's great to be here with you today. Great to be celebrating. And uh, man, we're in our third week in the series here. And uh, we're just walking through this, um, really this challenge to fan the flame in our walk with Christ. To fan the flame. What does it mean to be on fire for Him? And that phrasing, fan the flame, it means for somebody who is already trusting Christ as Savior, for somebody who has already kind of got something going with Him and you're celebrating Him in various ways, how to fan the flame and get that uh, kind of lit up strong in your life going forward. How to make sure that you stay on fire for Jesus Christ. Not just us individually, but for all of us as a church. How do we stay on fire? on fire. And so as we walk through this book of 2 Timothy, that's really the challenge. This is the Apostle Paul, and he's uh, sending this challenge out to Timothy, who is leading the church at Ephesus. And he's like, here's some things you need to know to keep your life and your church fired up. And uh, the sermon for today is just called Run to Please One. Run to please one. That one person, Jesus Christ, the King of the universe, Him getting the pleasure of how I live, how I walk, how I talk, how I think. Run to please one. That's what we're going after. That said, though, uh, there's going to be a lot in this passage that's about one another's. There's a lot in here about how as a church to partner together and how we all can then run together to please Jesus Christ. And so it is about partnership Everybody just say partnership, right? It is about partnership. It's us together, all of us individually and corporately making much of Jesus Christ. So here we go. Turn with me, if you will, to 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 15. 2 Timothy 1, uh, starting in verse 15. First point here, it says, be a refreshment to others in the church. Be a refreshment to others in the church. Being able to uh, lighten loads, to care for people, for those who are around you in the church, being able to lift their spirits along the way, right? So he starts out, let's dive in. He says, you are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me. And was not ashamed of my chains. And we'll just hold right there. He says, you are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me. Now, we're not sure if Paul is being, you know, a little bit kind of hyperbolic. He's saying it in the accessible, like everybody in Asia turned away from me. He means most all or largely all. Or does he literally mean all? What was going on in the church at that time? Was there something happening where everybody was literally having nothing to do with Paul? He had been captured. He'd been put into prison in Rome. His name was being connected with a lot of um, kind of ill-spoken-of thoughts about him. And maybe these people all were pulling away. Whichever it is, we definitely know this. Paul is feeling alone. Paul is feeling like he has taken a stand in Rome And the church in Asia is just not with him. That he is taking hits and they don't want to have anything to do with his name. Now this connects right back to last week's passage, right? Where Paul is like, I uh, make sure we are not ashamed of the testimony of Christ. And please don't be ashamed of me. 
and my chains that I'm carrying for Christ. Paul, he is in the prison in Rome and he's taking a stand for Christ and he's paying a penalty. And there were many that were like, dude, I'm not with that guy. I, I don't stand with him. I, I don't agree with him. Or however they were saying it, simply put, they were ashamed or maybe they were rejected or maybe they just outright disagreed with Paul. And so Asia was standing against Paul. And as a leader, it was hurting him deeply that they weren't with him. And uh, it says, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. And uh, these are two names that Paul is mentioning out to Timothy. And it says, among whom are, like, aren't you thankful that's not you and your name being put in there, right? He's like, man, there's some people that really hurt me. And here's two names. And, and Paul is listing these out to Timothy. Now, these must be names that Timothy knew, right? Like, most likely, these are very key leader names that Timothy was aware of. I mean, I'm sure Paul didn't say, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. And Timothy's like, whoever that is, right? It's not that. Like, this is a big deal moment. This is something going on with these guys. Probably they were key leaders. Probably they went out with the core teams that were a part, a part of planting in Asia. And somehow they decided to start pulling away from. And it's a big deal message. Yeah, we're losing a couple of our key leads. They won't follow me. They won't listen to me. They won't have anything to do with me. And uh, I'm sure it rocked Timothy's world to hear it. Paul says, may the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. This is someone who was a part of the church planting, both in Ephesus and uh, abroad. And uh, he was having a huge impact on Paul. He's like, may the Lord grant mercy to him. May he um, really bring hope and pleasure to this household of Onesiphorus. Why? He often refreshed me. Everybody say, he refreshed. It's a really big deal we grasp that word. He refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. We'll find out in a little bit in the passage here. But he visited Paul in Rome. He encouraged him. He supported him. He stood beside him. He had his back. When others were speaking ill of Paul, he stood beside him. And he helped navigate the waters that were going on. And uh, Probably gives you a little bit of an insight to some of the disagreement of these other two guys, Phygelus and Hermogenes, right? And uh, he's like, hey, I really appreciate uh, Onesiphorus. He was refreshing. He didn't act ashamed of my chains. Apparently, these guys had some problem with Paul being in jail. And maybe it specifically was that. Maybe Paul being in prison seemed to be too much. They thought it was too aggressive and they were upset with whatever it is. Paul's like, they definitely had a problem with me and um, Onesiphorus did not. That's a nice name for one of your kids, huh? Onesiphorus. I can't tell you how many times you'd mispronounce that name in a day calling them out, right? And... Uh, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. He's talking here really about Paul's expression of uh, what's called today civil disobedience. And there was a lot of heat because of it. There were people who didn't want to have anything to do with Paul. There were people that didn't want to have anything to do with Paul was standing for. But Paul was taking a position in civil disobedience. And we'll talk a little bit more about this in the second point as well. But this is a really big deal that we grasp, that we as a church are going to sit under more and more challenge. 
we are going to have more and more pressing in and challenging what we stand for and where we stand. And we need to be willing to take a stand with each other, to be refreshing towards each other, supporting one another, especially those who may be under the gun as they've taken a stand for Christ. And then somehow they are ending up maybe even in prison for it in the midst of civil disobedience. Man, we've got to be ready to stand by each other. This church having each other's back as we go. Ready? And all of God's people said, dude, it's not a small deal and don't miss it. Paul's hit it now back to back. Why is Paul talking in two different passages about the struggle and the suffering and the having each other's backs? And because he's in prison and he's wrestling with the heartache and the hurt of it. I just wrote a few words down here about civil disobedience. Let's make sure we grasp just a little bit of it. And I got to be honest, I've been wrestling with this all week and trying to get a good definition. And I think I'm going to be wrestling with it with a, for a lot longer. But I'll just tell you, here's where I've settled right now. At least a few words we can write down. What does it look like for us as believers? Man, if you trust Jesus Christ, when is civil disobedience appropriate? How does it work? So I just wrote this down. Civil disobedience for believers. When we choose to disobey man's law in order to obey God's law. Probably the best way I can put it. When we choose to disobey man's law in order to choose to obey God's law. That's when civil disobedience makes sense. Paul's like, they're telling me not to talk about Jesus Christ. But I have been called by God to preach his name and his fame. I will not step back from what God is asking me to do. So while they're saying, please don't speak, I say, no, my God has commanded it. So I stand up and speak. That's Paul in proper civil disobedience. Hopefully that makes a little sense to you to begin to apply it out. Man, there might be things that are going on in this world where all of a sudden they're starting to ask you to not follow what God's word says, to not worship Jesus Christ and who he is and what he's called you to. And that's a moment where we do have to take a step back and say, not me. I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. And uh, it's a huge deal. Now, I'm not talking about like, you know, why is it 55 miles an hour speed limit here? It should be 75. I'm going 75. Like, not that. Right? Everybody say, not that. Like we're talking about actually God's law, not your opinion, right? Civil disobedience isn't reserved for when you opinionatedly are just very frustrated or upset. It's actually about God's law, God's word, and you're going to stand with your king. That's what he's talking about. And Paul's like, I'm taking that stand. And I'm kind of alone in it. And get ready. Because we've entered into a year maybe four years, maybe a decade, maybe a lifetime where we're going to start seeing pressure in on the church to step away from Jesus Christ as the one true king. Are you willing to stand for him? Civil disobedience, we must stand with our God. We'll talk more about it in the second point too, all right? Paul's like, I appreciate Onesiphorus. He didn't leave me hanging. He didn't leave me alone. He was with me in this journey. He says, when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and he found me. Gives you a little understanding about how he refreshed him. He went to Rome. Dude, that was a hard trip. He like packed it up and traveled away to go visit Paul in Rome in jail. He went on a hard journey for it to Rome. It says, and he searched for me earnestly. Like he didn't give up. 
He was persistent in finding Paul. He didn't leave him alone. He went on a long journey. He went persistently. He found him. And then it says, he found me and he was with me. Literally his presence, his comfort, his support, his encouraging words. Onesiphorus made an impact in the life of Paul as he took a stand for Jesus Christ. And uh, he went after it in being with his God. It says, may the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. May the Lord grant him to have mercy on that day. He's talking about when there's salvation eternal that gets tasted of, when forever Onesiphorus is entering into the presence of God for all eternity. And on that day, as the, the rewards are being given out, as eternity is beginning, may God be bringing mercy. Onesiphorus, you brought mercy to me. May your God bring mercy to you. May you experience a refreshment from your king. And uh, Paul, celebrating the eternity that is coming and that Onesiphorus having this awesome salvation walk with God and this huge impact in this world that God would really bless him with pouring into his life and uh, celebrating the eternity that's coming. It says, and you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. He's like, and you guys know this name. This guy was awesome. Put it in our vernacular. This guy is a stud. He is a dude. He is reaching out, caring for people everywhere. He cares a ton. And you know what he was like. He was delivering to the church at Ephesus. He was humble and he was serving like crazy. It's one of those names where he's like, and I'm just telling you, that guy Onesiphorus. And so many in the church at Ephesus were like, that guy is awesome. That guy is awesome. Like that's what was going on. He was caring for people. He wasn't leaving them alone. And he worked with them side by side. May we be a refreshment for the church. Visiting, caring, maybe sending a text just to let them know you're thinking about them. Dropping a meal off, whatever it is. Being able to say, I'm with you in your struggle. You matter to me. Being a refreshment. May God get all the glory. That's what he's talking about. You know, this past week, uh, John has been doing a lot of healing. You heard last week, if you watched the sermon, John got surgery done a week and a half ago uh, on her Achilles. And so pretty aggressive surgery. She hasn't been allowed to put any weight on it at all. And, and uh, she's been healing a lot. It's been doing really well, actually. And uh, coming off the pain meds, almost done with that. And, and uh, praise God for that. Doing real well. She's able to get around on her own very uh, fluidly, pretty easily now. We've got a little scooter and she's able to get around on that, very comfortable with it. Maybe a little too comfortable at times, just between you and me all, right? Like it's a little freaky sometimes, but she's going after it with that, with that scooter and enjoying it. And, and uh, she's doing really, really well taking care of herself on some of those smaller pieces and then still needing help along the way. And uh, so getting a little more used to life and living, she was getting a little more confident with things and praise God for that, able to take care of stuff along the way. It got to be a couple nights ago and um, it was a couple, I forget, two, three in the morning, something where she needed to get up and go to the bathroom and, you know, she can handle getting off on the scooter and stuff. So she got up to manage that and there was a blanket that had fallen on the ground that she didn't know was there in the dark. And as she went to put her right foot down, her good foot, she put her right foot down into the blanket. She lost her balance. 
And as she lost her balance, she started to lean forward to that scooter, which was a little bit off center and she couldn't get to it. And she ended up tipping and she ended up having, she put that foot down just a little bit. And yes, thanks for the cringing, I'm with you all. And it just, as it shot pain through her, pulled it back up, she ended up falling over on the ground. So the bed shakes, she screams out loud, freaks me out. I'm waking up from a deep sleep to her shrieking and now tears. I go running over, flip on the light, go over to her, I grab her leg and I'm just kind of holding it. You know how when you're like having to flex your leg to hold it up, then everything around it starts hurting. So I'm like trying to hold it just so she can relax it into me. She's laying on the ground, she's got tears. I'm starting to get tears. I'm like, this is it. Like, I think she just destroyed it. We're going to the ER at three in the morning. It's over. And I'm holding her there and like, are you okay? Is this going to be all right? And uh, the pain started to subside some. She started to get better off and, and um, things started calming down a bit. It took, a, I don't even know how many minutes. I was just sitting there, just relaxing. Things calmed a bit and we were able to get her over and to go to the bathroom and get back to bed, right? We climb into the bed and, and uh, we get her set and get the blanket set on her right. And, and then uh, I lay down and she is like, bam, she is asleep. <laughs> I am not. My heart is still pounding. I've got the adrenaline just booming through me. I'm like, I can barely still, I'm thinking about all the details. I'm like, we got to change everything on what we're doing now. No more blankets on the ground in America. Nowhere, right? Like you just start thinking like, how can we fix the problem? What's going on? How did this happen? And, and uh, trying to figure things out along the way. And then my brain spinning all the other stuff going on throughout the week and trying to figure, I couldn't stop. Have you ever been in that moment late at night where your mind is just going and going and going and you can't stop thinking and you can't. And I'm like, Lord, I have got to get some sleep. And, and, um, and then like a couple weeks back, remember we were talking about trying to find joy in the little things. I'm like, I'm just gonna, I gotta get back to that again, Lord, right here, right now. And so I just kind of stretched out in the bed. And when I did, my hand just sort of bumped Jana's pillow. She's got this huge body-sized pillow that is extremely soft. I mean, so soft. And as I reached out, I felt that pillow and I'm like, wow, that is soft, man. And so I'm just kind of like rubbing the edge of her pillow and I'm like, all right, I can use this little thing. I'll do that. And so I'm like rubbing the pillow. I'm like, Lord, thank you for soft things that make us just be able to relax. This feels so amazing. I'm like kind of rubbing it some more. And then I'm like, wow, this bed is soft. Thank you for a soft bed. Thank you for the warmth in this house. And then I'm back to rubbing the pillow again. It was that soft. And I'm like rubbing this pillow. I'm like, this is amazingly soft. I don't even remember. I just fell asleep. Like, I don't remember anything else that happened. I woke up in the morning and like it just put me out. That's what Paul is talking about here. Be a refreshment into someone's life like an extremely soft pillow after a deeply terrifying moment. Being able to be a refreshment to someone where you help support them, where you help encourage them, where you come alongside them, where you bring something to ease life or pain and being able to be a refreshment in life. And that's a sweet privilege. Are you ready to be a refreshment for someone around you? Are you in? Simple question. I mean, let's put it this way. Who could you be a refreshment to? 
Who do you know that needs something where you could bring an encouraging word or a supporting statement or maybe even more as your refreshment to someone in this church body that's wrestling? May we be a refreshment to the church and all of God's people said, amen, man. Huge privilege. Point number two, entrust. Entrust the ministry to faithful men. Entrust the ministry to faithful men. He says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He's talking to Timothy now, Paul is, and he's like, be strengthened. Notice it's in the passive form, be strengthened. He doesn't say strengthen yourself. He doesn't say, come on, man, shape it up. It's up to you, make it happen. He says, allow this to happen to you. Be strengthened. And he's like, make sure you are allowing God to pour into your life. He says, by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, let you know what's going to be strengthening you. The grace of God, the gifts of God, the blessing of God, the mercy of God. God making a difference in your life, strengthening you. You becoming more empowered because you take a moment to say, all right, it's not going to be about my life right now. Lord, I long to hear from you. What do you have to say? What do you have to be in my life? Lord, you are my hope and my privilege. May we be strengthened by our God. And uh, maybe put it another way, he's like, don't be phygelous or hermogenous, right? And uh, don't be these guys that are really, they're causing a lot of disunity, disruption. They're making everybody form on them. Form on me. Forget about Paul. The form on me and causing problems and stir. Don't be that guy. Like, let's follow our God and let's follow our leadership as we go after following our God. He said, be more like Onesiphorus looking to seek out and care for those who are struggling. May God get all the glory. Ready? And all of God's people said. It's a huge deal to really consider how can I make an impact today for the kingdom. May I be a blessing to somebody. He says, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, like what you heard in my teaching, what you heard in my preaching, what you heard in the letters that I wrote, what you heard as we stopped and talked and laughed together, as we talked about church and made decisions on the way things would go. Timothy, what you have heard from me, now get ready to share it out. He says, and trust to faithful men. And trust, that word is super important. Literally in the Greek, it means to put alongside with. It means to set it alongside with. To be very specific when you're talking about it, think of like the baton pass in a race. So as you're running and you come up and you need to put that baton in the other guy's hand, as you start to reach it forward, you're looking for their hand to go back. As you put it into their hand, you're looking for the hand to go around it like they've got it. And as you know they've got it, that's when you start to release it. You're making sure they've absolutely got it secure and trust it to faithful men. Notice it does not say entrust it to just everybody doesn't say that. 
to faithful men. You are counting on this teaching to be given to those who are absolutely faithful to God Almighty. They're following with Jesus Christ. They've got a strong faith in it. They're fired up about it. They're responsible. They're trustworthy. They're following Jesus with all they've got, and that's who we begin to entrust the ministry to as it moves forward. He's like, entrust it to the consistent ones who are following Jesus Christ. Make sure it's in their hand and make sure it's solidly grasped. May God get all the glory. Entrust to faithful ones, right, that they may be able to teach also, that they may be able to teach others also. The whole point here is to be able to share principles, to be able to share scripture, to be able to share even policy. Like, here's the way we're approaching it. Here's why. This makes so much sense. You want to go this way when you go after it. And, and starting to share out the principle and the policy, the scripture and the clarity of, so that they grasp not just some boundary point, but they grasp the exactness of why and where. And they can now pass that along and say, let's go after this together. They can teach the principle down in. And this is a huge deal in the church that we need to be able to teach principle into this church and at times, execution of like, how, what makes sense with that? What would we do in that circumstance? Teach those things so that we all together get it and are going after it together so that the next generation knows exactly how to go after following Jesus Christ. It's not just in the hands of a few. And then all of a sudden they're gone and the whole thing falls apart. May we continue to entrust a cross and raise up that this church will be on fire for generation after generation after generation. And all of God's people said, huge deal, man. It's the same thing in your homes, by the way. Parents, to be able to entrust to your kids and raise them up so that they can grasp it. Entrust to them that they might be able to share it out and live it out, that God might get all the glory. Like it's a huge deal to be raising your kids up and helping them understand along the way. Here's why we're doing it. Here's what scripture says. Here's some of the boundaries. This is how it works. Be super careful to make sure that these are all what's happening. Sharing that across so that our kids can make smarter and smarter, wiser and wiser decisions. There is a point where we're sending them out of the house. And as they leave the house at 18, we long for them to be able to be entrusted fully, executing completely, that God might get all the glory. Ready? And all of God's parents said, dude, it's a huge deal. As we raise our kids up, that they might grasp it fully and be able to go after him completely because of how we've shared, so that as they go into this world that is wildly broken and challenging many things, they know exactly where to stand. May God get all the glory. Huge privilege for us to be able to shape our homes, for us to be able to shape our church, that it's not just for the here and now in the moment, but it's for every generation going on. Man, please hear me. The church is a living organism, and the church is growing in generation after generation, and we long for God to get the glory the whole time. He's like, here's the plan on how to do it. Entrust to them. And then he says after that, he says, and to share in suffering. 
and to share in suffering. Now, this is the same phrase he used last week, to share in suffering. It means to come alongside in the pain or the evil and to be able to hurt alongside of someone else, to come alongside of someone who is being browbeaten by this world, to sit with them as they are followers of Christ and to say, I am with you in your hurt. I am suffering with you in your hurt. And man, we got to know that we as a church better be ready to stand side by side with each other. Who knows when and who knows where the things will heat up. But know this, the world will not understand the greatness of Jesus Christ. They will not understand the uniqueness and the otherness of our King. And they will absolutely be pressing in. Whether it's in the next days, weeks, months, or years, who knows when. Man, we better be ready to stand side by side and go after it together. He's like, yes, to share in sufferings of any attack or loss or judgment or heartache or mockery or pain that may come along. We need to be able to follow after Christ and have each other's backs in a huge way. You know, society has started using a phrase now and uh, it's become all the rage to talk about. Um, the phrase is cancel culture. Right? Cancel culture. And uh, hopefully you've heard of that. If not, that means you've kept the TV and the radio really off. And uh, nice job maybe on that. I'm not saying you should be in on all, but I'm just saying the words cancel culture have become the rage. What do they mean by it? They mean when I disagree with what you're doing, I'll do everything I can to shut down what you're trying to be about. And I'm just telling you, I don't know that I got the best way to describe it, but I'll just say this. Dude, that's not even American. That's, that's not even what we really stand for as America. And the idea that somebody can have a position or a thought and go after it, but to try to take them down in some way, not because it's illegal, just because it annoys you. Cancel culture. Like that's really a problem. And I'm just telling you this now, hear this one. Cancel culture, it's not long till it starts leaning into the church. Man, we believe that Jesus Christ is the king of the universe. Amen? We believe that Jesus Christ, he died on the cross and he rose again. He is our one hope. Amen? Man, know this. We believe that Jesus Christ, he is the way, the truth, the life. And no one comes to the Father but by him. That, I'm telling you, will absolutely not be a very enjoyable word for some to hear. And there very well may be someone that starts leaning in, trying to cancel that message. Men, we cannot back down. We stand with Jesus Christ. It is his word that will be prevailing. We will not move. We will encourage one another. We will entrust one another. And we will stand by our king. And all of God's people said, amen, man. Huge. It may happen in the next days or weeks or months or praise God if it waits years or even decades. That'd be great. But know this. We are here as the church to be on fire and we point to the Savior. His name is Jesus Christ. And we got to be ready to stand it together. May God get the glory. Huge privilege. He's like, let's share in suffering. Let's partner together. And then he gives us a nice metaphor at the end. He says, as a good soldier of Christ Jesus, 
as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. You are an army, you are called out by Christ, and you represent the king. There is a whisper in from the world that this is the wrong way to go. It is a wrong whisper. God is calling out those who are willing to make much of him. Are you ready to be a soldier for him? Think about a soldier. Military mindset. No backing down. How many times have you heard a Navy SEAL in the middle of all their training whine and complain because the ocean water was a little cold that day for the testing they were going to go through? Right? That's not what's said. It's not the I'm talking about my comfort. It's not me talking about the discomfort. It's me saying, Lord God, I'm with you. Military soldier mindset. May God get all the glory. Man, our job is to see a duty, a responsibility, a sacrifice, a privilege to love the Lord our God and to love our neighbor as ourself. We will not move. It is all about our Savior and King. That's our calling. May we run for one. And may we do it together as the church on fire for Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, let's pray. 